verse 23. When they were released, Peter and John went to their fellow believers and reported everything that the high priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices to God with one mind, and they said, Master of all, who you who made the heaven and the earth, every, the, basically the sky and the land and everything in between, not just one thing like the pagan gods, and the sea and everything that is in it, who said by the Holy Spirit through your servant David, our fathers, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot foolish things? The kings of the earth stood together and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Christ. Here, they basically quote Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is basically talking about why the nations and the peoples rage against God when God is doing all these amazing things for them. Now, what's interesting, the original passage of Psalm 2, the nations and the people are the Gentiles. In fact, the word Gentile literally is the Greek word for nations. And Israel is not really typically seen as a nation in the Bible. It's seen as the people of God, who happens to be a political nation because of God's promises being fulfilled. So the nations and the peoples refers to them. But now, when they're quoting it here in their prayer, the nations refers to Israel and the peoples refers to the Gentiles. So now what they're saying in their prayer is they're applying psalms to the Jews and the Gentiles saying that the Jews and the rejection of Christ have become no different than the pagan Gentiles and their paganism, their, their worshiping of other gods. Because though the Jews don't worship other gods and idols, what they have made their God is their power base. And they have rejected Jesus for their God of power. Now they're using this of that. Notice this prayer. They're not saying, woe are us, what is going to happen to us now? Now I'm not saying they don't feel that. I'm not going to commentate on what's really going in every individual heart is. But when they came together and prayed, what came out was, why is the world against us when we have this? Don't they know what they need? And they quote scripture as they pray. And they're resting in God and they're going to God for it. And they're not wallowing in the anxiety of it all. For indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together in the city against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do as much as your power and your plan had decided beforehand would happen. And now, Lord, pay attention to their threats and grant to your servants to speak your message with great courage while you extend your hand to heal and to bring about miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they had assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God courageously. So notice what they're praying for. The entire world seems to be against us and wants to overthrow us. Yet God, we ask that in the midst of that, you would continue to do what you are doing. Continue to use us to preach the gospel. Continue to use us to do miracles. I pray that they would pay attention. Give us courage. May us not cease or cower in fear, though the nations and the peoples are against us. Because greater is he who is in us than he is in the world. That's their prayer. They're praying for confidence and courage. But more importantly, they're praying that God would continue to do what he has done despite all this. And God responded with his own amen by making the ground shake to let them know that he is powerful. See, right now, they're seeing the great power of the world. 
And when God does the earthquake, he's flexing his muscles and reminding him, yes, I am the more powerful one. I am the more powerful one. What? Yes. Okay, it says uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But they were already all filled. Yes. Well, the idea is that they're, they're feeling it more and more. I think more of the idea is not that they get filled. Some people do interpret this passage as like, oh, you need a little bit more filling, a little bit more filling, like it drains. I think it just means when they all came together, they were filled with the Spirit. And it wasn't them. I have been a lot of meetings in churches where the Holy Spirit has not been there. Everybody there, I believe without a shadow of doubt that they were believers, that they were saved, that the Holy Spirit lived in them, that they were filled up with the Holy Spirit. But I have been in meetings where not, we didn't pray to open the meeting. We made a lot of decisions. When I, I, there were times I can call, like, shouldn't we open in prayer and pray about this before we make a decision? They're like, oh, yeah. And we say a prayer for like one minute. And then we go back to, I think this, and I think this, and I think that. And I pulled myself out of them eventually because it just horrified me. Big decisions. Where it should have been, we're going to, we're going to pray all night if we need to. And I think that's what the idea is. Not that they weren't filled. These men and women were filled with the Holy Spirit in a salvation kind of a sense. But that room was not filled with the Spirit. They were not acting and living like they were filled. What it's saying is that this moment, they were filled. That's what was in control. That was what was predominant. Does that kind of make sense? That's what was leading them. Verse 32. The group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind. And no one said that any of their possessions was his own, but everything was held in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to, re- to, to the resurrection and to Jesus Christ, the great grace is on. Now, this is another passage that makes people think it's communism because it says that they held everything in common. But it doesn't say that they, once again, it doesn't say they sold everything. It doesn't say they gave everything. It just says, the idea is, my house is your house. When I say my house is your house, I don't mean like, here, have the mortgage and you can live here and take over now. I'm giving it up to you. I mean, you are my guests. You are my family. Whatever is in my refrigerator, you can have it. Whatever, my couch, my bed is yours. I want you to feel like this is your house as I take care of you and serve you. That's what it means that they held everything in common. That They, they, they saw that this is open-handed. I know people who live in big houses and they're lonely in it. There's all these rooms and all these things, and there's just them. And then I know people have big houses like that, and there's constantly people over all the time. Missionaries are coming on furlough that don't have a place for a couple months, and they put them in a room here, and kids who are not feeling connected to their family and need somewhere to go, and they're like, yeah, you can stay the night, and they're constantly inviting people for the neighbor. And they kind of constantly filled and bustling because my house is your house. I'm not giving up the deed to my house to all these kids in the neighborhood. Good luck, kids. It's that you can come in at any time. And I want this to be a place for you. That's the idea. And once again, that's more powerful. Selling everything and losing it is not as powerful as I have this. And I'm going to steward it for all of you to enjoy and reap the benefits of it. And that's the idea here. Christ did not call us to give everything up and then go to heaven. He gave us things and said, now be good stewards. And that's what we should be looking at is not how much I should be giving up and giving away unless the Spirit comes to you. Okay? But I mean just as a general default. Don't just start with, I need to give it all away. or How much is too much? No. Stewardship. I am a steward. And all this is available to other people. 
and the Spirit will tell me when to do it and where to go with it. And this is the idea here. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or to the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. For there was no one needy among them, because those who were owners of the land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds from the sales. Now, once again, they weren't donating their lands. They were selling the land and then giving the proceeds to that land. And notice what it starts with. There, no one was needy. They were taking care of the needs. That's the important thing. And placing them at the apostles' feet. And the proceeds were distributed to each as anyone had need. It was not sell everything for the community to own. It was sell it when somebody has a need. It's make it available when somebody has a need. That the order is important. The need is there, then they give. Not they give everything, and then one day maybe we'll need it. So Joseph, a Levite, who's also known as Barnabas, was a native of Cyprus, which is an island. The apostle Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field, sold a field. That is important. It doesn't say he sold all of his field and all his property. He sold a field and belonged to him and brought the money and placed it at the apostles' feet. So this is our first introduction to Barnabas, the guy who's going to vouch for Paul. The idea here is that he's taking care of him. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to emphasize this anti-communistic little idea kibbutz of Judaism or Christianity in order to like allow us to maintain our materialistic ideas and to hold on to our things and say, there you go. Corey says that that's how you interpret the Bible. I can still have my houses and my cars and all that kind of stuff. No, 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 that's not the point. The point is I'm trying to emphasize this non-communistic idea because the communistic idea doesn't allow you to meet people's needs on a regular basis. And this idea is still anti-materialism because it's not me holding on to my stuff. It's not me holding on to my possessions. It's not about me having comfort and power and abundance. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong in saving up. Jesus says the fool doesn't save up for the future. But it's not that I, oh, I got to save up and no time will ever tap into my savings because that's for me when I retire. Rather, it's, there's needs right now. And yes, saving up is important and the wise man saves up. But also the person who has a heart for people in need also says, but God has given me. And, 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 if, and if they need this and God is calling me, I will give it to them. And ultimately in the end, Jesus is a better 401k than this. And I'm not going to be dumb and unwise about my 401k and just say, well, I don't need it. But I'm also not going to hold on so tight. Like, that's my retirement. I deserve it. I worked hard. Okay? Or my kids are now out of the house and I sacrificed so much for them. Now it's my time to spend money on myself. Okay? No. You still have this money. Now you have more of abundance because your kids are gone. So now there are other kids that need that. And so the idea is not to swing it either way, to not look at this and say, well, okay, well, then you're saying this is not communism, mine. But not also say, let's strip us of everything and then I have nothing to give to people. It's, no, this stuff is flowing through my life. And, and there are times where my good father says, here's a gift that I want you to have. 
Here's a vacation that you need with your family to develop connections and to be recuperated. Because if you don't have that with your kids, then they're not going to grow up with a connection with you. And that's not healthy. And here's this house that is warm because that's important. And here's this. But if I come to you at any time and say, this person over here needs it, then you are to open your hands and give it to them. In the same way that Abraham had nothing and God gave him everything and Lot selfishly said, I want more. And Abraham said, it's all yours. Take whatever you want. Because Abraham believed that God would give him a land. And no matter how much he kept giving the land away, God was a God who was divine over the universe and could keep giving him more. And that's where our ultimate trust and comfort comes from. And we don't want to swing one way or the other because neither one truly still helps people in the end. We need to look at our possessions and say, this is mine for my enjoyment when God says so, but it also must be so detached from it and not in a Hinduistic sense that I'm willing to give it up for people who are in need because people are more important than stuff. And how do you use that? And this is what Jesus said, use your money to win influence people. How do you use your money to win influence people if you gave it all away? What it means is like build a swimming pool in your backyard. And you're like, oh, now everybody wants to be my friend. And they're all fake because I have a swimming pool now and they want to come over. Yeah. Now they're all in your backyard and they get to see Christ now. And they get to see a healthy family. And they get to see people surrendering to God. And now they're a captive audience to hear the gospel testimony because it's not awkward when they're in your backyard talking about things at your grill. It's awkward when you've knocked on their door and they open it up at an inconvenient time. And now you talk to them about Jesus. And it's relational. And it's, it's, it's living it out. And so that's what Christ meant. Like, build a swimming pool and don't be getting angry if people want to be your friends because now you can share. And you, that's the idea, an openness. And that's what God is calling them to. And so this is the emphasis. This is the power of the early church. This is what we're to hold on. There's no structure here. We're not told how they structured their church. We're not told how they spent every single Sunday, what they did. We are not told their liturgy. What Christ is not giving us is an example of how to structure churches or how to do liturgy or how to organize your hours. And what, what he's saying is these are the values that they had. And these are the values I want you to have. Now, what structure does that look like today versus an early Greek culture? Is it different in America than is Russia? That's where we need to take these values and lay them on the table and say, God, this is the most important thing to us because it's the important thing for you. Now, we are going to spend all night, if necessary, in prayer to ask, what does it look like uh, for us to implement these values in our time and our place and our neighborhood and our cultural environment? And it might be different than the people in Russia, and that's okay. But when we go over to Russia, or they come here, we'll still be brothers and sisters in Christ because at the heart of the structure is the same values. Does that make sense? I know that's easier said than done. But it's actually not as hard when you're in the Spirit because there have been times that I have been in meetings that we really went into prayer and we spent a long time and we came out unanimous in a decision that looking at the people in the room, I never thought I would ever see that in a million years. And that told me it was the Holy Spirit. 
This is what God is calling. The Holy Spirit is the main character. God is the main character driving everything. And he's given us values. And it is our job then to ask, what does it look like for me to implement those values? What does it look like for us to implement those values? And how do we engage with people from other parts of the world and see and learn from them as a spirit? And if we do that, there's nothing that can divide us. And everything else will become secondary and insignificant. And I don't mean easy without conflict and without messiness, but just better and more fulfilled. Does that make sense? I hope this is beneficial. <laughs>